what you have to do is you have to do your own things. You have to do your own stories. You have to show that you got a, a, a command of, of the medium that you can tell, you can make a great comic and you don't need to wait on anybody to do that. Welcome to the Under the Mask podcast, where we discuss the super process behind superheroes, not just superheroes, aliens, horror, thrillers. If you can find it on a comics page, you can find it here. Here, you'll learn how to make comics from the initial outlines, scripts, and artwork to printing and putting the final book in a bag and board. For many years, Bill Colomb has written his book, Kinetic, and sold thousands of copies across the nation. And now we're inviting you along for an inside look to the comics process. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you're in the right place. This is the Under the Mask Podcast, and this is Bill Colomb. Under the Mask Podcast, episode 34. It is Whaling Week here at Under the Mask Podcast, as I have a couple special episodes lined up for you. We're going to be talking to my friends at Comics Tribe about their latest release, Whaling Blade. My guest today is the writer of several comic books, including Gutter Magic, published by Image Comics, Road of Bones, and the upcoming Sea of Sorrows, which will be published by IDW. His latest work, The Wailing Blade, is a high-adrenaline fantasy adventure set in the dark future of mankind. You can support it by going to www.comicstribe.com slash wailingblade. That's comicstribe with an X dot com slash whaling blade. I'd like to introduce Rich Duick. Rich, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me. Thanks for having me, Bill. Glad to be here. I want you to tell us a little bit about your story. Who are you and how did you get to be with us here today? Well, I was uh, bitten by a radioactive spider. And, no, uh, so uh, basically I'm um, a writer, comic writer, um, writing something that I had wanted to do since I was a kid. And I spent a lot of years sort of trying to be a like a novel writer and not being successful at that because uh, I don't know, I would just always sort of get started uh, with like a great idea and like lose steam, like, you know, a couple of thousand words in. But the other thing that I've loved since I was a kid has been comics. So I decided to give comics writing a try. And it turns out that I'm much, much uh, better suited for that because I keep finishing them. (laughs) But anyway, uh, I started and maybe around like uh, 2011, 2012, I started self-publishing with uh, some short stories and then a couple of like one shot kind of length uh, issues. Um, And then uh, I got picked up my first series called Gutter Magic got picked up in 2016. So from there, once once that was finished, I just kept going and and getting uh, some new ideas uh, written. So then uh, in 2019, that was done like a few different things because uh, we I published uh, Road of Bones with IDW and then uh, Wailing Blade with Comic Strive. And here we are today. 
When did you feel you took the leap from amateur to professional? That's interesting because I, 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 I still, you know, I, I think like a lot of people struggle with it and, and I still struggle with it from time to time. But I think um, for me, it was like, to be honest, I think it was when Road of Bones got accepted because um, it, it, it's sort of the thing where what's that old saying? It's like once is chance, twice is coincidence and three times is, is conspiracy. I think so applied here. It was like, you know, when gutter magic got published, it was sort of like, okay, this could just be a fluke. Then, you know, whaling blade got picked up and I was like, still could, you know, still maybe just a fluke, you know, like I, I, <laughs> but then, uh, road of bones was like number three. And then that was just sort of like, I was like, okay, well, you know, this is like something that, uh, I could see being sustained. Like, like I, I felt like, you know, I'm getting, getting paychecks for all of these. And I felt like I had, really like planted my foot on the path and, and, you know, could call myself a professional. Yeah. It always makes you feel like a professional when you're actually getting a paycheck from it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I got some TMNT work a couple of years ago. There was a book, uh, TMNT universe, which ran concurrently with, uh, with the main title. So I got to do an issue of that and a couple of uh, backups and that felt really good too. You know, so I think it was just sort of like the cumulative effect of like continuing to be able to put stuff out there. So so that it wasn't just, uh, you know, one or two things. Uh, your newest thing coming out is Wailing Blade. Uh, you've got the uh, oversized hardcover and also the soft cover coming out, the compilation. Mm-hmm. But before we get talking about that, I want to talk a little bit about uh, these other books that you've put out beforehand. Sure. Uh, talk to us a little bit about Gutter Magic. Uh, so Gutter Magic was the first book I ever did. And it's actually like the first comic I ever did. It was, it was like a five page uh, short story called Gutter Magic. Um, and it was this idea that was floating around in my head a lot of um, how to describe it. Uh, so it's, I guess you'd call it like urban fantasy because it's uh, it's a world of wizards and dragons and all kinds of fantasy creatures, but taking place in like kind of like a modern day Manhattan. So it's almost like uh, if you took like Harry Potter or something like that, but instead of wizards being all secretive, every, everything is out in the open. And, um, you know, the story uh, in the universe is that uh, during World War II is when magic kind of made a, uh, a comeback because instead of there being some sort of nuclear arms race, it was a magical arms race. And, and on both sides, wizards started coming out of the woodwork. So that, that was like in the past. And, and uh, the story of gutter magic is the story of uh, this guy named Cinder who wants to be a wizard. Everyone in his family is, is a powerful wizard, but he just does not have the, uh, the, the gift, so to speak. So uh, gutter magic is kind of his quest to gain that power that he feels is his birthright. And, uh, you know, um, Andy Schmidt from Comics Experience really liked it, the short story and and the things that I had going on because I, I did a few more short stories in that same world. So he approached me about doing a longer form one that we uh, we get published and IDW wound up picking that up. Talk to us a little about Road of Bones. All right. So Road of Bones is uh, funny because it's a horror story, just straight up horror. And I never like if you'd asked me five years ago if I was ever going to write a horror story, like I, I it just wasn't really anything I ever saw for myself. I always saw myself as more of like a fantasy uh, science fiction writer. But over the course of doing some research, I, I, I stumbled across like... Uh, these stories of uh, of the Russian gulag, and it just struck me. I was like, "This is this. You could set a really awesome story here." 
So Road of Bones is a historical horror story. It's set in the 1950s in the in uh, in Soviet Russia in in the Gulag. And the Road of Bones is is an actual um, actual real world thing. It, it's called the Kolyma. It's the Kolyma Highway, and it's in Siberia. And the reason it's called the Road of Bones is because uh, they were breaking ground on it. And um, what would happen is, uh, since conditions were so brutal there, prisoners would die, and the ground was too frozen to dig graves, so they just buried them in the road. And it was a really horrible and brutal thing. And the more I read about it, the more fascinated I was with uh, just the fact that it hadn't really been explored yet as kind of like a setting for for any kind of story that 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 I that I had been familiar with so the more I did it the, the less I was inclined to use that as inspiration for like a science fiction story or something and then just and really just set the actual story there so uh what it is it's about three prisoners who uh escape this horrific gulag but they're escaping it into Siberia which is one of the most dangerous and forbidding environments on on the planet and they don't have enough food and things just get worse and worse the longer they're uh, wandering uh, across the tundra. And to complicate things even further, one of the prisoners has, uh, you know, we're not sure whether he's hallucinating it or whether this is an actual supernatural creature, but he has this thing that's basically kind of helping him survive. And it just uh, complicates everything. And uh, it's it's really like a brutal horror story. It's one of the darkest things I've ever written, but uh, it's come to be also one of my favorite things I've, I've ever written. We, uh, you know, Alex is an amazing artist. Justin is an amazing letterer. And uh, we just all kind of came together to uh, make the most kind of gut-wrenching horror book we could make. And if you're going to make a horror comic, Alex Cormack is definitely the guy to go to. Uh, oh, yeah. If you don't know him from his work on Sync, and as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, I, I know what he is about. Yeah, yeah. Sync was actually the book that inspired me to ask Alex to do this one because I had had the idea uh, written out for a while and and was just looking for um, a good artist. And I was friendly with Alex, but at the, at the point when we started talking, most of what I had seen from him was um, his other work, including um, another comic shy book. Uh, called Oxymoron, which was more uh, kind of in the in the superhero world. But then he came out with Sync, and I started reading that, and I was like, Alex, <laughs> have I got an idea for you? And we, we talked about it one year at New York Comic Con, and he was really into it. So, um, yeah, that, we just started going and haven't looked back. Talk to us a little about Sea of Sorrows. So, um, so Sea of Sorrows is our follow-up to Road of Bones. And uh, when we were thinking about what to do for our next book, we didn't really want to do a direct sequel because I think both of us, we didn't want to just do the same thing over and over again. We were really happy with how Road of Bones ended. So what we did instead was kind of think about what we really liked about Road of Bones, which was that it's, it's sort of this combination of like history, psychological horror and supernatural horror and uh, blending together in a certain way. So we decided that we wanted to create another book using those same things as inspiration. So Sea of Sorrows is set in the 1920s and it's a, it's a salvage ship going after some uh, sunken gold in the middle of the North Atlantic. But the crew, uh, which is sort of like this ragtag crew of... Uh, ne'er-do-wells that are kind of at each other's throats already things get even crazier when they find out that there's a, a sea monster stalking them 
through this wreck and their own ship. And that's going to be out on November 18th. And we're really, really excited about that because it's it's everything we loved about Road of Bones and more. And Alex and I really have sort of hit a groove working together. So we're really excited for people to check that out as well. I'm glad you clarified that. The first thing I thought when I saw a Sea of Sorrows from you was, man, they sure do like to name stuff blank of blank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, you know, I guess like the thread tying them together. You know, if we ever uh, do a third, it'll be something of something, you know. It was kind of like our little signal that like we're like playing in the same ballpark. So uh, I don't know what we'd call it, but it's, you know, it's like it's not like a pat thing, like American Horror Story or, or something like that. But uh, but yeah, the idea is just like like if, if you see a book from me and Alex, that's like something of something. It's like, yeah, you're, you know that that's uh, that's what the, the playground we're in. Having talked about those, now we're going to get to, of course, the elephant in the room, The mm-hmm. Wailing Blade. Yes. Uh, Wailing Blade is published by Comics Tribe. It is live on Kickstarter right now. You can find it at comicstribe.com slash Wailing Blade. Rich, let's talk about Wailing Blade. Wailing Blade is actually, you know, like I have... I have a lot, I've I've written a lot of stuff and um, I have a lot of tattoos, but then there's only one tattoo I have of a book I wrote. And that is a tattoo inspired by Wailing Blade because it's a book that's really kind of important to me and, and close to my heart. And I think that's one great thing about being on Kickstarter is that just the experience of being on Kickstarter lets us uh lets a lot of that love come across because we, we have to be very involved in 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 selling it and showing everybody why it's it's really special so anyway what what do i love about wailing blade it, it's 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 everything that inspired me to to write it it's it's huge kind of sweeping epic science fiction in a future dark age it blends together sword and sorcery and weird dying earth fiction and all the stuff that I grew up on, you know, authors like Jack Vance and Michael Moorcock, Gene Wolfe, it, it draws from all of that. Basically the story of Wailing Blade is the story of a, a bandit prince who needs to save his father from the deadliest executioner in his world. And the special thing about his world is that it's uh, a future where humanity has been to the stars, had a huge star spanning empire that completely collapsed. Now it's thousands of years ago. And now the only few things that are remaining are from that golden age are a few remnants of technology. And the people that control that technology are basically the warlords and the tyrants of this world. And the most a uh, stunning piece of technology is this gigantic sword called the Wailing Blade. And the executioner that wields it is, is just only known as the head taker. He's kind of like this legendary killer who that holds the entire uh, region that uh, he patrols like under under his thumb. And our main character, Tycon, is a bandit in his clan. They're, you know, they do steal things and cause chaos, but generally they do it uh, to survive and they do it against this oppressive regime. So his father gets captured after a disastrous raid and sentenced to death. And the book is basically Tykin's quest to save him from uh, from the head taker and from the Wailing Blade. And it's really a David versus Goliath situation because the, oh, yeah. ta- the head taker, he's, you know, 10 feet tall and 
Yeah, he's like a wall of meat. Like he's just like all muscles and like a G.I. Joe versus a He-Man figure, you know, (laughs) if you know toys at all. And there's also the fact that as a bandit, like Tykan really doesn't have access to much technology behind like, you know, a sword and his own his own wits. Whereas the Wailing Blade is um, kind of like this like super powered weapon that not only is it a sword, it actually affects the head taker's uh, biology. So he can withstand a lot of punishment. And the duel between them is uh, is pretty epic. And that is like, you know, only the first two issues. And then in the second two issues, things get even crazier. So we have a lot, a lot of cool stuff in that book. Um, one thing that was, that was really cool is like, is that the head taker might be the most famous executioner, but he's not the only one. So over the course of the story, he comes into conflict with uh, a second executioner called the bone breaker, uh, who has a different method and a different weapon. Um, now the cool thing about Wailing Blade Volume 1, which is currently on Kickstarter, as opposed to the issues, is we're adding some more content. We added basically what we like to call a post-credit scene, where um, we not only comment on the story that was in the issues, this is completely new content where we introduce two more executioners that are going to come into play when, we, when we're able to do uh, Wailing Blade Volume 2. We'd love to keep doing more and more Wailing Blade stuff uh, as long as people are uh, psyched to read it because we have this kind of like long epic story we want to tell of which this book is only kind of the first chapter. Yeah, of course, when lives are on the line, you only need one executioner. Well, the idea is that like uh, there's this sort of there's this empire in the world under the heel of the tyrant, this guy called the tyrant of Minturn, and he's got these seven executioners and each one has their own region of the empire that that's their responsibility. But then when you have a uh, high profile, um, I guess you'd call it like a victim like a bandit king and it's sort of on the border of both areas there can be a little competition as to who gets the honor of the kill that's why head taker and bone baker come into uh come into conflict and it's also an awesome excuse to have a insane fight where one guy has the wailing blade and uh, bone breaker has this gigantic hammer so it's a lot of action really fun to write and also to see how joe mulby our artist brings it to life because he's seriously one of the most dynamic artists that i can think of like his fight scenes are just they're always a joy to like flip through yeah for a big over-the-top fight scene mm-hmm. uh, very, very few do it better than joe mulby yeah he takes a lot of inspiration from like stuff like older X-Men comics where like, you know, you have like Wolverine fighting people. And uh, he also takes a lot of inspiration. I think even like from manga and stuff, just the way he like frames things and also, you know, people wielding giant weapons. (laughs) Um, You know, I know he uh, went through a lot of uh, volumes of like Berserk and stuff like that to kind of uh, get a little inspired. So um, yeah. And this is a great segue into my next question. How did you find Joel Mulvey and the rest of the art team? So it's actually kind of, it's a funny story because Joe and I met at New York Comic Con, I believe it was 2011. It was my first one that I ever went to. And he was putting out a book with Comic Strive at the time called Scam. And I was familiar with Comic Strive. I was familiar with Scam, but I had never met them, but they had a booth there. So I just kind of went over to say hi and introduce myself because I was, you know, just getting started with writing and I was looking for, you know, smaller publishers. Uh, to work with. And Joe and I just kind of hit it off. And he was like, uh, 
we're going out to a drink and draw later. So you're coming, right? And I was like, sure. So I didn't really have any other plans. So then at the drink and draw, Joe, we, we just kept getting these, uh, like rounds of drinks would just keep coming. And I didn't know until later, Joe had told somebody at the bar that I was David Wells of the Yankees, because I guess I kind of look like him. And maybe the guy at the bar was drunk. So he said, so the guy was like, was that David Wells? And Joe was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he's like, he's like, can I meet him? And Joe's like, well, why don't you send over a couple of rounds, you know, and, and you know, we'll get him in a good over. <laughs> So these drinks just kept coming and I didn't know any of this, you know, so it was just like, Hey, free drinks. And then he, he like hands me this piece of paper and he's like, he's like, all right, just sign it like David Wells. And I'm like, why? He's just, just do it. Just do it. So, so I did. And then like, uh, I waved to somebody across the room that I didn't recognize, but whatever. And he only filled me in later and like, I'm cracking up and, and it was just the start of the start of a beautiful friendship. Cause like we both lived in New York. So we would, we started hanging out and, uh, like I said, he was working on scam. I was working on gutter magic. Uh, but then once, once those books were done, we were like, we should really work together on something. So we went out, had some drinks and I pitched him the story of Wailing Blade and, and he was totally into it. So he started doing some sketches and putting things together and, uh, it just really like meshed well together. So, so that was us. And then I knew, uh, Chris Sotomayor through comics experience. Um, and then, uh, Joe also knew Chris because they knew a lot of the same people on it. I think used to work in the same studio years ago. So, you know, Chris is an amazing colorist. There's, I, I think like almost nobody better in the game. Like he's done Marvel, he's done DC, he's done just amazing work for like every single company out there. And, uh, we had kind of, we sent him the art just asking him like, Hey, can you recommend us, recommend us a colorist? Because, you know, Chris knows a lot of people and he knows a lot of great people and he nurtures a lot of like talent. So we, we were just kind of going to him for a recommendation, but he really liked the artwork and he said, well, I'll do it. So that took about a second for us to decide to say, yes, please, please do it. Um, so uh, once Chris was on board, we were looking for a, a letterer. Again, like like Taylor Esposito is an amazing letterer that's done work all over the place. And uh, I think one of the things that we really liked about Taylor is that he has a really great sense of design. And one of the things that we really wanted was uh, a really unique design for the Wailing Blade special effect special effects of like, you know, the actual blade, like whaling, you know, because we have a book called Wailing Blade. And the reason is, is because when, when the blade is in combat, emits this really loud whale and we didn't want it to feel repetitive. We didn't want it to feel lackluster. So we, we really wanted to find a letterer who could kind of give it that extra love and, and make the book look great for our money. Like Taylor was the guy because he's got so much experience and such a good eye that uh, he really just elevated um, every every issue and every page we gave to him. And I wanted to back up just really quickly because uh, you and Joe met and you had the idea for Wailing Blade. How far along in the process were you uh, before you brought brought it to Comics Tribe? Yeah, I think it was what we had was basically we had the out, full outline, you know, kind of the broad strokes of the story. And then we had, uh, I think we had like a, like about the first six pages done. If you look at the book, basically there's like a sequence that uh, starts on page one and goes up to like a, like a double page spread. I think we had that done and that was kind of the, 
so you get a look at the world and, and the visual design and stuff. And uh, Tyler James, who's the uh, who's the publisher uh, of Comic Strive, uh, just he, he loved it. Like like first first time he read it, he 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 was he was like, this is a really great pitch. I, I really want to do this. So yeah, then then we just started putting putting uh, putting the rest of it together. What was the initial inspiration behind Wailing Blade? So I love older science fiction, kind of like, I guess you, you'd call it like pulp sci-fi. And one of my favorite authors from that era is a guy named Jack Vance. Uh, and Jack Vance created this setting called The Dying Earth, which is the setting that inspired a lot of Wailing Blade. Dying Earth is, is set so far in the future that uh, there's not that many people left on Earth Things are, there's technology, but it's so alien that um, it's almost thought of as magic. The sun is going out and um, it's just, it's sort of like an alien world set on earth. And I just found the stories and and the idea of the setting very, very compelling. Um, So what all that has to do with Wailing Blade is that uh, Jack Vance passed away in uh, the early 2000s. And when I read that news, uh, it just sort of made me rediscover the books because I hadn't read them in many years. So I, I, I bought a new edition and, and read through and reading through those just really inspired me to see how I could incorporate what I loved about those into, into a story. And the more I thought about it, the more I brought in other settings and other authors that that I loved, um, you know, there's uh, a bit of Michael Moorcock's Elric, Elric inspiring it. There's uh, an author called Gene Wolfe who wrote uh, the, the Earth of the New Sun, which um, is a similar like dying Earth setting. And then also there's like a lot there's like pop culture stuff in there. Like like one of my favorite cartoons from the from the 80s is this one called Thundar the Barbarian, which is uh, a lot of uh a lot of that's in Wailing Blade's DNA also. So really, it's just sort of like Wailing Blade is, it's like if you took everything I loved about science fiction stories uh, that I read or saw or encountered, like from my childhood all the way up through adulthood, and just this is kind of my homage and like interpretation of, of, of what I love about that stuff. It's always fun to hear where someone's inspiration for something came from. And uh, like you said, you put it great. What's in the DNA of a series. Uh, And oftentimes there's so much more than just uh, one thing. There's a lot of different things that go into it. It's sort of like if it was just one thing, then it would be a remake or, or rip off or something, you know, like I think part of the magic of of stories is that you're inspired by a lot of different ones. And and it's sort of how these, all these different inspirations and influences come together in a unique way. One thing cool about the Wailing Blade that I actually submitted for Comics Tribe is doing a little contest, Legends of the Wailing Blade. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So we got the idea for Legends of Wailing Blade uh, because we, we wanted to find a way to bring some other people in to, uh, to the universe and see what cool things they could come up with. One of the things about the Wailing Blade, the world that it's set in is, is it's a very kind of superstitious world and it's big. You know, we, we did a whole map with a whole bunch of towns. So we thought, wouldn't it be cool if we allowed people to tell the story of a legend in the world, something that those people that live in that world would tell about the Wailing Blade. So we have, you know, it could be uh, a bartender talking to his clientele or 
some people in that world sitting around a campfire. Like what are the, what are the campfire stories that they tell about the whaling blade, where it came from? Why does it whale? So we got some of our friends together to just contribute uh, writers that we're really excited about and really admire their work. People like David Pepos, TB Andre, Melissa White, Ryan K. Lindsay. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of people lined up and then we asked them to write just a short prose story about the legend. And then we would hook that story up with uh, a great artist. So we've got Liana Kangas, we've got Lane Lloyd, Paul Scheich. It's a whole bunch of like really talented people lined up that are going to be doing these accompanying pieces. You'll open a page and you'll see you'll see the story and you'll see an illustrated piece of art, almost like you're going through like a, a book of legends. And then we thought, why stop there? We've got a lot of Whaling Blade fans out there, people that really love the book. So we wanted to open it up to our, our Comics Tribe community. And, you know, we have a lot of aspiring creators in that community. So we wanted to see, you know, what you guys would give us. People like you, Bill, um, you know, just anybody who, who, who enjoyed the book and wants a chance to contribute to that world. So we are going to be picking some of those stories to put in the actual book. Let's talk a little bit about your writing process. Let's say you have that first spark of inspiration. Mm -hmm. How do you workshop that idea into an outline and then to a full script? Okay, so when I have an idea, a lot of times I'll, I'll have the idea and I'm not really exactly sure how it's going to uh, how it's going to work out. So I'll have the idea. I'll jot something down and then like let it sit and let my brain kind of uh, grind on it for a little bit. Then the next step is, is just kind of laying out the general outline, let's say, you know, and sometimes it, it's, I don't, I don't really do like formal outlining. What, what I'll do is more like a, like a synopsis or something like, like I'll just sort of write it out in paragraphs, you know, pretty dry, like just what happens. And then one thing I've learned with writing is that like rewriting is really important. So like my first draft, even of a synopsis is not probably something that I would, I would share with anybody because it, it's just very rough. But the idea is just to sort of get the idea on the page, get it out there, and then I can move things around, delete them, rethink them. So I'll just sort of like keep going, going through it, going through it over and over again until it's in a place where uh, I'm happy with it. And then that's when I will generally start thinking about getting it made, whether that's uh, pitching it to a publisher or pitching it to an artist to see if somebody might be interested in it. Uh, but once I have that outline, I kind of see that as like, that's like my roadmap. And then I, I go into the script. I know a lot of like, I, I think there's a couple of different like approaches, like some writers re do really tight outlines and then they stick, stick to those outlines, like as they're writing it. And then there's others when I put myself in this category where it's sort of like the outline is sort of is the roadmap, but writing the script is, is getting out there and, and, and making the journey. So just as if like, you know, a map of where you want to go, but then you get out on the road and uh, all of a sudden there's a roadblock. So you got to figure a way out around the roadblock. You got to take a detour. And th that's kind of how I write is, is, is I, I have the the outline and the ideas in my head as, as kind of like my compass and my, and my roadmap. But when I'm actually writing, I could wind up doing things completely differently depending on uh, what occurs to me in the moment. So, and again, you know, like a lot of it is kind of trial and error. Like I might write something and decide 
two days later, I'll, I'll read it and be like, okay, this isn't really working. Or I might write myself into a corner where like, uh, you know, I'll find myself in a place where I don't know how the characters are going to react or get out of it. And then I have to go back and look at like how I got there and, and figure out, okay, well, if I just change this and this changes everything after it, and this gets me out of, out of the jam that I put, that I put myself in. So you know, it can get messy sometimes. I don't have like a, like a, you know, ironclad like thing where I could like, you know, write, write some kind of like a uh, guidebook or something, but, uh, but I get there. <laughs> and uh, as you were talking about that, I actually looked up on uh, Wailing Blade. Uh, you guys are just under $20,000. And uh, this yeah. I think is actually Comics Tribe's most ambitious goal too, because 20,000 out of a 3000 or a $30,000 goal. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big goal, and but the reason is is that we're really going all out with this book. You know, the hardcover is going to be like oversized, beautiful. It has a, a die cut cover. The goal with the hardcover is to make a book that is as much a piece of art in and of itself as the story inside. So, like, we, we really want to have this be like a beautiful book that you're proud to display, that you're proud to kind of take off your shelf and and show people. Which is not to say that if, if you get the soft cover that you're you're going to get shortchanged or anything, you know, because everything that's going to be in the hardcover is also going to be in the in the trade paperback. It's just that we're trying to do with this is give like a really premium product that gives people their money's worth. So, you know, it's not like our goal is not $30,000. So Joe and I can get this like tremendous payday or something like that. It's $30,000 because it's going to be an expensive book to make. And we didn't really want to cut any corners with it. So we're just hoping that enough people are interested in it that that will get there. Yeah. If you're familiar with Comics Tribes, I think it was their last offering. uh, She at the Tower of All That Was Known with Ryan K. Lindsay and Chris Panda. Uh, Similar die cut to that. Yeah. Um, It's almost like, uh, like there's a piece of art on... I guess it would be like the first page of the book and there's a die cut on the cover that gives you like, lets you see through some of it. So, you know, you'll, you'll, and, and we also have a really nice embossed foil, foil uh, sword on the cover of the whaling blade. So then you open it and then like the full piece of artwork is, is revealed. It's a very cool concept that I don't think I've seen on any other hardcover. Yeah. Well, I think she was, was really the first one that we ever saw it on. And um, oh, I mean, that book, it, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. And it, I think that's kind of what inspired us to start talking about, well, c- what can we do for Wailing Blade? How can we kind of take what Tyler did with she and, and, and Ryan and, and all them did with she and, and do something just as impressive and just as um, great. So you could almost have these two books on the shelf uh, next to each other and have them kind of complement each other. It's like, I think we just wanted to do everything we could to make the book really special. Yeah. Because it's special to us. And right now you're two thirds of the way there. I have no doubt in my mind that you guys are going to hit your goal. Uh, there's still plenty of time on the clock. Yeah. Yeah. What does the future hold for Rich Dueck and the Wailing Blade? Joe and I have talked about it and we both love the world. We love telling stories there. So I think it's something that we both love to get back to. And it's really just more a question of, when our schedules allow it rather than if we are or, or are we not, you know, Joe has a, a book that he's working on for next year called happy Hill that he's doing with comic tribe. I have a uh, sea of sorrows and a couple of other things going on that hopefully we'll be able to announce at some point. But, um, but, you know, we both really love it. And we, we like, 
I, I, I would love to make one thing clear is that like, you know, I did bring the idea of Wailing Blade to Joe, but Joe brought so much to the table in terms of the look and the design and things and even, you know, ideas for his designs have influenced the story. So like Joe and I, like that's our book. Like it's, it's not my book that, that Joe draws. It's our book and, and we love it and we want to do more of it for as long as people will allow us. So, um, you know, I, I don't think volume two is going to be coming right away, but, you know, I think given, given our own, uh, how we feel about it, it'll definitely be coming at some point. What have been the biggest obstacles or challenges that you faced and how did you overcome them? The biggest challenge for me, I think was just sort of being confident enough to finish something and, and put it out there. You know, I, I think what really used to hold me back as far as um, when I, when I was attempting to do prose and stuff like that was that uh, I would endlessly tinker with things. So I, I would never really finish them because in my head they had to be perfect or I couldn't put them out there because, you know, what if somebody saw what a terrible writer I actually was. What got me over that was when I was learning to do to write comics, I took a course from Comics Experience. Uh, it was an online course and the course project was the intro to writing. And the course project was uh, writing a five page script. So it was an assignment. I did the assignment and I got the script and it was finished. And then I sent it, decided I was like, well, I got the script. So let me try to find an artist, you know, otherwise what was the point? So then I found an artist and then uh, his name was Jason Baruti, talented guy. The art started coming in and, and just sort of seeing my words come to life. It was uh, just an amazing feeling and, and realizing that, okay, well, I actually finished something and, you know, it was good enough for this artist to make something beautiful out of it really kind of gave me the confidence boost I needed to keep trying and keep, keep putting stuff out there and learning to accept that I was not perfect and my work wasn't perfect, but that didn't matter as long as I kept doing things and kept getting better. What do you feel has been your biggest mistake creatively? So I think my biggest mistake creatively, and it's going to sound a little weird, but I think I was a little too attached to gutter magic uh, in the very beginning because I was just like doing gutter magic, gutter magic, gutter magic for like, I think about five years before it actually got picked up by a publisher. And it's not like I was just doing the same thing over and over again. I was working in that universe. You know, I, I was doing short stories, a couple of longer ones. And I, I do like those stories. I think they're, you know, I don't have any regrets in terms of the work, but I think if I had it to do over again, what I would have tried to do is do that and come up with some new ideas in that intervening time. So instead of just keeping on trying, having that one dream project that like I wanted to get through uh, somewhere, like make it or bust, I think I would have better served myself if I had gotten a few more going a little bit earlier and um, and maybe, maybe one of those would have taken off and then I would have been able to do Cutter Magic that much earlier. So I think like, like if I could go back and, and, and do things, do anything different, it would just be to, to just sort of diversify what I was working on earlier in my career, at the very beginning of my career. Cause I, 
I'm still pretty early in my career, to be honest. (laughs) What do you feel has been your best moment as a creator? So I think my best moment was going to New York Comic Con the year after Gutter Magic was published. Because, uh, I mean, published by IDW. Because it was really just a different... It was just like a, a very different experience um, when going to it, having had, some, having ha- actually having a book that was out that I could put in somebody's hand and they would look down and, and see that it was real. Because my experience at cons before it had been published was most of the conversation went like this: "Hey, I'm Rich. Hey, Rich, really nice to meet you. Uh, I have this idea for a book called Gutter Magic, and I'm a writer. I'm, you know, trying to get some stuff going. That's great. Yeah, here, uh, just leave it here. I'll, I'll take a look at it, and you know, and that would be that. I'm not trying to uh, complain about anyone that was on the other side of that conversation because I know uh, from both sides, cons are really stressful for editors, for professionals. It's like, you know, there's a ton of stuff going on and you only have like a few minutes of attention you can give to anybody. So like, I totally understand it and I don't begrudge anyone for just sort of taking my you know, staple together book and just sort of being like, oh, okay, great. Yeah. And then moving on to the next thing. But then once Gutter Magic was published and it went more like, Hey, my name is Rich Duick. I do Gutter Magic. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. kind of heard of that. Here it is. Love for you to take a look at it. They look at it and, and see that it's like a real thing. Um, you know, IDW's logo on the cover didn't hurt either, but it was just sort of like this feeling like, you know, knowing that, yeah, I still had a lot of ways to go in terms of, you know, building a career, but at least I'd taken the first step and people had noticed. So it was just, uh, you know, just a good feeling to kind of feel that kind of respect from, from other people in the industry that like, you know, just that acknowledgement, like, yeah, okay, you did something. So now you've shown me that, you know, you're somebody who can, can get stuff done. So maybe, you know, we can get something done together. Starting out, what was the best advice that you can receive? Or conversely, what's the best advice that you can give to someone who wants to do what you do? So I think the best advice both that I got and that I can give is that you don't need any kind of permission to get started. You know, if you want to be, if you want to make comics, you can go make comics. I would say like the idea that you're going to walk off the street and start writing Spider-Man or Superman or anything like that is just, it's just not going to happen. Like things don't happen that way. It doesn't happen for me. It doesn't happen for anyone I know that that's done it professionally that, you know, they've kind of walked up to somebody at the Marvel booth and told them their Spider-Man idea and had it said like, okay, yeah, come, come do it. What you have to do is you have to do your own things. You have to do your own stories. You have to show that you got a, a, a command of, of the medium that you can tell, you can make a great comic and you don't need to wait on anybody to do that. There's a lot of things out there you can do that you can, you, know, you can do web comic, you can do printed book. If you're worried about costs for the, for printing something or costs of finding an artist, you can go to Kickstarter. You can find other people to work with that complement your skills that are also looking to do something, you know, like if you're a writer and you're young and hungry and you know, look for an artist that's just as hungry and put something together. If you're an artist and you feel like, um, you can use a little help with like plotting and things like that. Find a writer and, you know, just do whatever you have to do to, to, to get that stuff done. And then 
put it out there, whether it's perfect or whether it's not is less important than you keep putting stuff out. And then every time you do it, you're going to feel more confident. You're going to get better at it. Don't feel tripped up by the idea that you have to come into it. Like, you know, your first thing out, you're a superstar. It's like, you know, that that's very, very rare. Most people, even people who seem like overnight successes have like worked and toiled in obscurity for a long time. So, you know, you just got to keep doing it, keep putting stuff out there. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't. And, uh, you know, the more you do it, the more success you'll see. Rich, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, it's been great talking with you. Wailing Blade is live on Kickstarter now through November 20th. You can support it by going to www.comicstribe.com slash Wailing Blade. Rich, where else can we find you online? So you can find me on Twitter at rduek. That's R-D-O-U-E-K. I'm also on Instagram for there, but I, I tend to spend more time on Twitter just because uh, when I think of things, they usually come out in writing rather than uh, an awesome piece of art. But you can find me there. Uh, you can find Comic Tribe on Twitter. It's uh, just at Comic Tribe. And uh, Joe Mulvey, artist of Wailing Blade, is on there as uh, Joe Mulvey. No E-Y at the end. And uh, yeah, I also have a, w a website at rduek.com. And on there, you can find my newsletter that I send out. Uh, I try to do it monthly, but I also don't like to kind of bombard people with stuff if I don't really have um, anything new to talk about. So, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes it slips a little bit, but uh, I do try to get it out there whenever I have stuff to talk about. And I'm also really open to people reaching out. If you have questions about my work or about getting into comics or something, just, uh, just hit me up on Twitter and I'll do my best to uh, answer. But uh, thanks for having me on, Bill. Had a great, great conversation, uh, great time. And uh, I really appreciate the chance to come and talk about uh, the book and my work. Yeah, Rich, thank you again so much for coming on. If you know a creator that makes comic books or any other media and think they'd be a good fit for the show, drop us a line at underthemaskshow at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Under the Mask podcast with Bill Colomb. Welcome to the family. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you've found the right podcast for you. Thanks for listening, and make sure to like or leave a review, and we'd appreciate it if you'd tell a friend or two. To reach out, visit us at underthemaskpodcast.com. This has been a presentation of Why Comics. Till next time, this is the Under the Mask Podcast, signing off.